see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. All right, guys, thank you all so much for chiming in for our latest episode of here at Rangers Review. Um, Before we get into anything, I would just like to say I have heard some questions as to why uh, Rangers Review episode wasn't out Monday. And the reason for that, and it's something that we'll be doing going forward, guys, is if there is an episode that is expected to come out the same day as a game, we think it's probably best foot if we just don't do it on that same day. That way, there's more longevity to the episodes. Uh, so that way, with the Rangers not playing until Thursday at the time of recording this, that way at least we have a day or two to really get our thoughts out and actually break down the past game for the Rangers. So that was our mindset behind it in case anyone is wondering. But before we get into anything today, Stephen, how are you doing? Uh, well, it's been a week. <laughs> it's been quite the week. Um, yeah, uh, pleasantly surprised by the new coaching staff. Um the record slightly better than I expected, two and two, or three, no, three um, one and one. Well, yeah, but, but we didn't include the Buffalo game last time we recorded, of course. Uh, yeah, but yeah, three, okay. two, two, two one and one for the four games we tried to predict. Um, and I would like to say I'm two one and one again. So three weeks in a row, I'm on a roll not here. Bad, not bad. Okay. Um, and then yeah, last night. Um, I mean, you know, he's loose. You know, it's it's happening. So, yeah, there, there a lot of really exciting things to be talking about because, um, as you guys probably know by now, heading into this week, there wasn't as much positivity with the Rangers. Um, really, looks like that there was going to be a downfall because if you guys don't remember, just uh, this past week, the first game was against the Flyers. The Rangers lost in overtime. That was a very tough game to lose. They were battling back. The offense was staying consistent. The the defense was not stellar, and then ultimately things finished off with a beautiful feed um, from Kincaid to Voracek in overtime, and Panarin was just gassed. He couldn't backcheck in time. That ended up being the OT winner for the first game of what an eventful week it was. So how the Rangers respond heading into the second game, right? Well, the second game is where things got very intriguing because the it was reported couple hours before the game that the Rangers are not going to have their entire coaching staff that David Quinn everyone is out currently because of the COVID list so you're like okay this is a recipe for disaster it was nice knowing you Rangers right but then they bring in Knobloch they bring in Chris Drury behind the bench and all these other pieces and they have the biggest blowout I've ever witnessed as a Ranger fan nine nothing this game was and just jaw-dropping from every single second and the man of the hour and the guy that I emphasized in my last video here on the channel is yes, Mika Zibanejad. He finally stepped up. We finally see Omika. Oh my, he actually showed us what we have known and loved for him the past year plus and six points in one period. So what's your initial stance on this game in particular before we break down all the others and Mika's performance as a whole? Um, well, um, the, the, the nine, nothing game was, it was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. The luck of the Irish, because that was St. Paddy's Day. It, it was the only logical thing that connected for me. I, I have no explanation for it. Some people say, yeah, the Flyers gave up. But, yeah, I think they gave up when we were up by six, which is still a really good lead at, the, at, that, at, that, po- at that point. All before the third period, might I add. The third period, they, they should have just skipped. I mean, that was the most boring third period ever. Um. 
the few fans that were in the building wanted a 10th goal. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just didn't happen, but still, 9 nothing. It's the biggest shutout win since 1986 for the Rangers. Zibanejad tying a league record by, is it Trottier? Uh, six, goal, six points in a period. Yeah, Brian Trottier, right? Yeah, yeah only happened once before. Uh, Trottier in 1981 against the Rangers. So mm-hmm. nice, nice to be on the good side of history for once with that one. Um, but overall, um, yeah, the only downside for me uh, is that, you know, that game, uh, Julian Gauthier was a healthy scratch, which I did not agree with at all. Um, no, and the youngsters didn't really get much playing time. No. As you no. as you remember, the first game against the Flyers last week, uh, Gauthier had a great goal. And yes, he did. He had two uh, two double minor penalties, so he was in the penalty box for he was sent to the penalty box for eight minutes, mm-hmm. which yes is bad for the team. But I I don't want to get this off my chest before we go into the nine nothing thing. Um, I feel that when when you bench a player, you should bench a player for a good reason. If a player uh, takes a dumb penalty or takes a penalty where he is losing his cool or where, you know, a penalty that could have been prevented, a a penalty that's just a result of the player doing something stupid. Yes, bench him for it. That's perfectly fine with me. But one of the double minor penalties for Gauthier was where he tried to lift uh, Giroud's stick Mm -hmm. and missed Giroud's stick and then hit him in the face and there was some blood, so it was a double minor. I don't think... Personally, I don't think you should bench a player for that because in that moment, Gauthier was trying to make a hockey play. He was trying to lift Go- uh, Giroud's stick. He was trying to do the right thing. It's not as if he was slamming the door of the penalty box or he was uh, he was checking someone into the boards in the offensive zone, which are stupid penalties. It was a pure accident. That's it was an accident and it was a hockey play. You shouldn't punish players for trying to make the right play. Punish players for doing something stupid. Don't punish players for doing something wrong when they're trying to make the right play. That's all I'm saying. I agree. And I feel that Gauthier didn't get any credit for the amazing goal he scored that game. Where That, that was a very Kreider-esque goal too, using his body, taking that down along the side, yeah. and then just crashing yeah. the net beautifully. Uh, that was a beautiful goal. We've seen Kreider score that goal. We've seen McDavid score that type of goal. And I don't want to compare Gauthier to McDavid, but it's that typical goal where he comes from the outside, goes inside and, and scores. That was a beautiful goal. And it feels like he didn't get any credit for the goal, but he was criticized for the penalties. So yeah, I didn't really feel – I didn't really agree with him being uh, being a healthy scratch for the Wednesday game. But I mean, there's no really no real way I can argue with a coach that um, acting head coach Chris Knobloch, who who has his team win nine nothing his first game behind the bench against his former club, you know, because he was most recently a Flyers assistant for two years up until yep, 2019. Yep. Like, talk about a nice little re- revenge piece there by him. I just yep. this, this game stood out to me in numerous ways. But you're right, though. Granted, the Flyers defense from the jump was horrid the goaltending wasn't much better but you know we've all seen in previous games this year for the rangers where there were a lot of games where early on it's like oh my there were odd man rushes left and right and maybe it was igor bailing them out to keep them in it or even at times kincaid now we now we've been seeing 
But now it was with the Flyers side of things with Elaine Vigneault, and it was funny. I think you might have touched on this in Twitter. I was one of those rare occasions where you have Flyers and Rangers fans in unison for their head coaches to be fired, you know? It's like Flyers fans, I've been saying this for a while, AV is a strong regular season coach, but you're not going to get too much adapting out of him. You know, he's a guy where he's kind of old school in the sense of, you know, he's the last thing he's going to do is drastically change his style for you. That's a lot, you're never going to get that from him. So once that kind of style is broken, that rhythm, it's far more difficult for him to kind of adjust mid game. And that was evident with this Flyers club. Defensively, it was just horrid. Offense was just lights out. For Mika to get six points, a hat trick, three assists, and just one inning is beyond me. But what a game it was for the Rangers. And I think that was perfect when you look at, you know, Mika finally stepping up. He had going into that game, I'm almost certain that he only had 12 points on the season. Um, so he got, I believe, around half of his points on the year in that game alone going forward. Um, and then he just continued the pace. If you look at what the Rangers did after that, they continued to have some solid games. Yes, they didn't win every one of them. Um, they ended up losing the next game to the Capitals, but it was a very well-performed game by the Rangers, I think we could agree. Better than the game they won the following day on the back-to-back. The Rangers win the second game against the Capitals over the past weekend. Um, but I think we could all agree that the Rangers played a better game that first night out, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and um, sometimes we get caught up in in thinking we played a good game because we won or we played a bad game because we lost. Mm-hmm. But if you look at those two games on the weekend, um, yeah, the, that, the, the first game against the Capitals, we played great for 55 minutes. And then we conceded two goals – by the best goal scorer in history, right. the best goal scorer I've ever seen play. Yeah, probably the best goal scorer in the history of the league. I mean, yes, he. I mean, Gretzky holds the record for most goals, but I wouldn't consider Wayne Gretzky a typical goal scorer. I mean, no, it was, it was just a playmaker who also got a ton of goals. Um, Ovechkin, the best pure goal scorer in the history of the league. Um, if they ever going to rename the rocket Richard, name it after Alexander Ovechkin. It's 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 ridiculous how how he's been still in the hunt to break Gretzky's record, even though he missed games because of two lockouts and now two shortened seasons because of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I know Gretzky had the 95, 94, 95 uh, shortened season as well, mm-hmm. but still, Ovechkin missed a full season. And then he had three shortened season in his career. It's it's ridiculous that he's still in, in the hunt. Um, but those two goals, a lot of people blame Georgiev for those goals. I think it's more on Lindgren and Fox, you know, not clearing the crease, not not uh, uh, picking up the, the puck when it was out there in the open after the yeah. rebound. But it was just unlucky. I mean, this 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 stuff happens once once in a while. The Rangers played great on Saturday. Um, they lost, unfortunately. And then on Sunday, they they won. Um, so, yeah, it w- wasn't all bad. Um, Howden finally got a goal on Sunday. Empty net goal. Probably the easiest empty net goal you'll ever see. Um, Following that up by being out of the lineup. Well, um, yes, but he, because of COVID-19, he wasn't yeah. a healthy stretch, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, that empty net goal was, uh, was the easiest one you'll ever see. I think the only person in the world who would not be able to score that one as Patrick Stefan. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alish Hemsky, oh no. <laughs> other than that, you know, everyone should be able to score that one. But yeah, it's just Zabana Jet is, is finally picking up. 
uh, finally playing the way we know he can play. Oh, finally. That's all I can say. Uh, Panarin had a three, uh, three-game goal-scoring streak. Uh, he had three, I think, three assists last night. Yeah, he had three assists last night in the Rangers' win over the Sabres, which um, was yeah. a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. Um, another game where the defense wasn't all that stellar. Kincaid um, really made some big saves when the Rangers needed and the fairly limited shots he faced because the Rangers outshot Buffalo last night. And with Dan Girardi behind the bench as the current assistant now, now that they fired Ralph Kruger for the Sabres, just trying to shake things up now with Granado as their head coach. I'm happy for Girardi, though. Um, but, yeah, Rangers outshoot them like 40 to 20, and Kincaid kept them in it big time early on. Gave up some goals that maybe people could argue were soft, but still overall offense prevailed once again, and we saw guys like Chris Kreider. You know, talk about the power play. It's still been frustrating, but the one thing that is nice to see again is Kreider doing exactly what – we would expect him to do on this power play, getting him the puck in the front of the crease, just let him bury, whether it be a rebound or a wraparound, whatever it's going to be. And he's doing just yeah. that again. So I'm very pleased by that. Just keep him in the nitty and gritty in that crease and he's going to make great things happen. Um, Panarin had three apples, correct? Foxy had a great game as well. Uh, he had three points. In the NHL, by the way. Yeah, already. He's just... It, I, I don't think there's much arguing to say that Fox is a you know top 10, if not top five defenseman in the league already. Like He's been evident every single game it, he might not be the biggest point producer versus your stereotypical guys but you know he's making up for it in every which way on a nightly basis i will say one thing about adam fox um we as ranger fans see him play every night um i don't think he gets the recognition he deserves around the league because he was a third round pick and i've oh, seen this in, in, in the past with other defensemen like Chris Letang, Keith Yandel, Roman Yossi, they need a few years to shake that label of being a third or fourth or fifth round pick. Whereas guys like Kel McCarr, Miro Heiskanen, Rasmus Dahlin, Quinn Hughes, you know, they are top 10 picks. So then when they come into the league, they already have that pedigree. Everybody knows them. They've been hyped for years. And Adam Fox still has to shake that a little bit. The fact that he was drafted 66 overall in the third round by... Calgary. Calgary. Yep. Uh, and it's a stereotype. You know, unfortunately, that's just what it's just one of those things that won't. Unfortunately, kind of that's the case. I mean, look at Henrik Zetterberg. He was a seventh round pick in 2000. Oh, I know. He needed, he needed many years to, to finally be recognized for the player he is, not for where he was drafted. And oh, see the same thing. I'm sorry to cut you off. I just want to say you said Zetterberg, seventh round pick in 2000. I think so, yes. Okay, because if that's the case, were him and Hank really both late-round picks in 2000 together? I, would, I think like, so. Let me quickly check. Let me okay, quickly check not, it's not trying to fact check. I'm just I'm going to be fascinated if that's actually the case. Or maybe they're a year apart. Either way, that that's something. You know That, that almost feels like a breaking news to me because I, I didn't know that that's the case. Uh, I knew seven, he was a late-round pick. but 99. Seven-round pick in 99. Okay, there you go. That's crazy, though. Two two amazing Swedes that would end up dominating the league for over a decade plus together. That's really cool. Um, but and, and this is the point I was trying to make. You know, sometimes I feel like it's better for a player to go undrafted than to be drafted really late, because it's just it's easier to 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 recover from being undrafted. Like a guy like Panarin comes into the league and he wins the Calder because you know it's undrafted is always a story. 
You know, someone comes into the league undrafted. It's a Cinderella story. Someone like comes the head into and gem. Yeah, someone comes into the league as a third or fourth round pick. It's like, eh, all right. And I feel like that's oh, that's something that Fox has to fight as well. But I think he's better than Quinn Hughes. I think he's on the same oh, he level. Absolutely is. I think he's on the same level as Mira Heiskinen and Kel McCarr. I'm a huge fan of Kel McCarr. I think he's a great defenseman. He's in phenomenal. his draft year, I was very critical of him being a fourth overall pick because of where he was drafted from. He was drafted out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, which personally, I, I don't really like to draft a player from a minor junior league that high because you never know how that player does against decent opposition. Makes you, like- think, makes you think of his um, soon-to-be teammate in Alex Newhook coming from Br- um, British Columbia. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, players out, out of the BCHL, same thing. The OJHL. Yep. Usually you, you see those players being drafted a little bit later because the opposition. Uh, if they were as good as the draft pick suggests, you, you would think they would actually play in the OHL or WHL or QMJHL. Yeah, exactly. So with Makar, you know, he, he proved me wrong. He's a, he's a great defenseman. I think he's – I would still pick Makar over Adam Fox. But Heisken and Adam Fox for me is very close. Uh, but I would definitely pick Adam Fox over Quinn Hughes. Um, he had a great game. He had a goal and two assists again against Buff- the Buffalo Sabres. But for me, the story of the night was Capo um, Caco getting two goals. Yes, uh, of course it was. Um, I know you had your whole jersey set. I saw you got a couple more Capo Caco jerseys. I think you're up to 10 if I, I count uh, correctly. I, I, I got a box in. Uh, my girlfriend sent me a box of stuff from New York, and uh, there were uh, two additional Capo Caco jerseys included. So I decided to rearrange some things on my wall, hang up some extra jerseys, and I took a picture of it, shared it on Twitter. And, I, see, uh, I see one of them creeping in the corner behind you as we speak. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, he should score more. Or like, uh, yeah, you have more jerseys than he has points. Uh, and And then a couple of hours later, he finishes the game with two goals. And Honestly, he played a great game. Even if you don't look at those goals, even if you take away those two goals, he still had a great game. Um, and it looks like finally, you know, the, the bigger outlets are picking up on on how good he's playing, how well his his game fits the NHL. Uh, the NA, the New York Rangers stats and info Twitter account tweeted today that he's second in the league in takeaways per sixty. And that, a- that's so like. For me, that's such a euphoric feeling because I love defensive play from a forward yeah. like so much, especially for a guy when he has the full expectation to blossom as a dominant two-way forward. It's not like Capo ceiling should be this guy who's lingering, you know, 25, maybe 30 points. Like there should be a lot more than that with him as we get older, you know, as he continues to develop. But to be – how old is he? 20 years of age, 19, 20, and he's already one of the best in the league from a defensive standpoint. Oh yep. my God! It's he just no turned but I'm happy that they're finally picking up on this type of stat. You know, I, and you know this. I I tweeted out this stat weeks ago. You know, I started to look into giveaways versus takeaways, and um, yeah, if you if you look at you know the the comparison, and I don't want to go too far with the comparison because people might get a little bit ahead of themselves and, and think that. Are you going to say Malkin? No, 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 no. no. Yeah. 
But if you look at um, no, the only player that that has a higher takeaway per sixty uh, number is Mark Stone. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at him, um, the, his, his takeaway per sixty is similar to Mark Stone, but he only has five giveaways. And there was a long time where Capo Caco had one giveaway for the, for the season. I know. And a couple of games ever since he came back from COVID, he had. Some shaky games where he had some more giveaways. Wait, still, how many takeaways does he have in total? Uh, 21. Oh, 21 to 5. That's good. That's really good. 21 to 5. Uh, Mark Stone, 32 to 18. Yeah. It, 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 granted, I know it goes in hand because Stone's probably playing himself in more high-dangerous situations. You know, he's the one game that upwards of 20 minutes a night. But, yeah, you're right. It's still yeah. impressive. Mark Stone, Mark Stone at, at this – Mark Stone in 2021 is more a position, uh, possession player than Kako is. Mm-hmm. Still, the, the takeaway per 60, uh, great uh, great number. And I'm happy that other outlets are picking up on it because it's a great way to to look at how a player is doing outside of goals. I know we all want to see goals and assists for the young guys like Lafreniere, Kako, and soon-to-be Kravtsov, which we'll touch on in a minute. Um but what's also important is how they do outside of goals. If they don't score or get on the on the score sheet, how are they doing on the ice? And uh, Kako has been has been having a great season. Yes, there was a there was a long time where he didn't score a goal, and it was frustrating to see. But to see people call him a bust, that was just too far for me. Um, I think I think we'll be fine. Um, and the comparison I've always made for Kako is Alexander Barkov. Oh, I know. Yeah, you've been all on the Barkov hype train, as have I, for numerous uh, years now. Right. Barkov, in his second NHL season, uh, after 24 games, had two goals, three assists. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance, Stephen. No, I'm just saying they, they come from the same background. They went through the same adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, going from Finland to the NHL. Um, they played on a team that wasn't really that bad. So it's not like Barkov was, was joining a team that was that was awful at the time. You know, they, they, they had some good players and good up-and-coming players. That Huberdeau-Barkov duo. It's one of the most underrated in the league. I, I see a lot of, uh, of Lafreniere and, uh, and Kako. Or I see a lot of Barkov and Huberto in Lafreniere and Kako in terms of, you know, them being the dynamic duo of, of young up and coming elite players. I think I, I want to just add quick that that's actually a great comparison because when you look at Lafreniere too, and cer- there are certain similarities I see with him and Huberto, for instance, because I feel like Lafreniere with how he's going to gradually develop because people tend to forget Huberto started out slow as well with Florida. It took him like a good couple of years to really blossom to being now this 90 point stud per year on average. Like he uses his body to his advantage. He's defensively responsible, which is something that I think we're going to see more and more with Lafreniere. He knows how to throw his body. That isn't an issue, but I I think that that comparison is far more accurate than anyone else that we've seen. Like, Oh, you know, the cross being the Malkin, like we talked about in the past or whoever it's going to be. So I actually, I love the fact that you brought that up because Huberto it, it makes a lot more sense than what – because people compare Lafreniere, and he even said it to himself, if there's one guy that he um, really idolizes his game after or feels that it's similar to is Miko Rantanen. I don't see too much um, differences in Rantanen's game as I do with Huberto at times and, and their stature and how they perform, how they present themselves. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and 
you know, it's always difficult to find a comparison. And I don't want to go with comparisons too much because you tend to get lost in setting your expectation based on those comparisons a bit too much. If the Rangers can end up with Lafreniere and Kako in the future, having 80, 90 point seasons, that's, that's just what you want from your, from your top players. Um, I'm not going to expect a 140 point season like McDavid's putting up now, or, you know, if that happens, great, but it's not going to be my expectation. But with Kako, the defensive play has already been, it was already there. He had two goals yesterday. Let's hope he can build on this a little bit. But um, if you look at the team now, Butchnevich, 29 points in 30 games. Uh, Strom, 26 in 31. Kreider, 16 goals in 31 games. Yep, leading the team by five goals currently. Which is ridiculous. And Panarin, I don't know how Panarin does it, but he has 28 points in 20 games. And as prudent, as impressive as Bretman has been, because we shouldn't even say how does he do it. He just does it. You know, he does it year in and year out. It doesn't matter what situation he's in, whether it's been Chicago or Columbus. Now it's the Rangers. He's just continuing to progress upwards. Um, but I think the biggest story to take out of all that, and I also want to touch on the coaching situation in a second, but is Buchnevich. 29 points in 30 games. This guy's a game removed from being point per game 30 games into the season. You know, say what you will, people have griped about Buchnevich, you know, being, even myself at times, being so snake bin in the past. Last season definitely was huge for him. Just try and bury, but... His game has changed so much since his rookie year from being uh, very much more of a one-dimensional player to not just being a solid two-way player. Outside of Capococco, he's the Rangers' best defensive forward. He's on the penalty kill now, making things happen, and both on special teams as well on the power play. And just every night, I feel like he's continuing to be sneaky good with either his playmaking or actually setting up and burning a nice goal. Like, he's just in his situational... Um, decision-making is far better than I think I've ever seen out of him. And it's at the perfect time, too, with this being his contract here. And he's very, he's a he's a positive player when it comes to penalties. His penalties drawn versus penalties taken ratio is plus seven. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> um, but Mika Zibanejad now has 20 points in 31 games. That's crazy. I feel like just yesterday he only had 10. He needed a six-point game to get there, but he's, you know, it's it's part of his resurgence. Mika Zibanejad in the month of March is absolutely crazy. I'll probably, when we played our last game in March, I'll probably look up how he's doing just in the month of March. Oh, just like throughout his career? Throughout his career as a Ranger, see where he ranks. Uh, I, I looked it up last week, but it was still middle of the month. Uh, but there's something about Zibanejad in the month of March. You know, last year he had the five-goal game. This year he had the six points in a period. I don't know which one's more impressive. I I was saying that the other day too when I did my um, video recapping on that insane game, and it's tough because six period six points in one period I would say is most impressive, but I think that we naturally are going to draw a little bit more emotion in the five goal game just because in the manner the Rangers kept giving up goals left and right. You know they couldn't hold the lead against the Capitals, so then for Zavanja to score last minute against the Caps and then score the OT winner, it was like. It was pitcher perfect. Like no one could have expected it is, that better. It is like from an emotional standpoint, if you're going to make a movie about one of these games, it's gonna be the five goal game. Oh yeah. But Lioness had a five goal game three years ago. It's not that that uncommon. But the six points in a period happened only once in NHL history, and that was nineteen eighty one. I wasn't even born. 
for that. Yeah, it wasn't even a thought. So I understand. My my parents weren't even together. I think 1981. No, my my mom was my mom was 16. Uh, they weren't together. Wow. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Um, so to, the six points in a period is probably the rare occasion. But I understand people having um, fonder memories of the five goal game because it was such a what you said picture perfect moment when he scored that OT winner and that was the fifth goal uh, for him. And did we win that game five four or six five? I I feel like we won that game five four. Okay, because he scored every single goal for the Rangers. I think it's six five, and it was one additional goal. Either way, it's impressive. Oh, okay. It's impressive either way, and and both games happen in March. Uh, it's just it's crazy what Zabanejad does in the month of March, and not as impressive as Mark Stone, by the way, who has twenty one points this month. Wow, yeah, I haven't even been following with Vegas. You know, I I unfortunately I've been able to follow a lot with the opposing teams this year, but I know Vegas has been tearing it up, and he, Stone's been leading the way. So good for him. I've always I always like Mark. I did not like Mark Stone with Ottawa just because Ottawa for the longest time was always a pesky team for NYR, not just because of the most recent playoff run against each other, but I even, I still can't, I think of uh, Nick Foligno back in what was it? 2011 or 2012 when the Rangers faced the Sens back when Spezza was still um, there and you had Alfredson, they were just, ah, uh, they were always a thorn in the Rangers side back then. I didn't enjoy them. And then when Stone came in the Reigns, he's this stellar, and late round pick, stellar two way forward. I'm like, oh my god, here we go. Yeah. So I wasn't yeah. too upset when he landed in Vegas. But I wanted, I want to mention too how if you look at just the past week, including the um, the Rangers' past game, which they won five four against the um, Sabers. You had Zbanjad leading the way with nine points in that span. Butchnevich had seven points in only four games because he didn't play uh, the first game against the Flyers. Um, Panarin nine points because Panarin. Um, Strom had seven points as well. And then Foxy had six points in the past um, five games. So, or four games, either way, there's really, really solid numbers. And um, before we kind of piggyback on a, on a Kratzov, I want to ask, what is your initial stance on the whole coaching situation? Because the Rangers talk about an impression you score, you go nine, nothing and your debut game without David Quinn as your head coach with Nabla coming in and it just, everything goes right. You lose the next game, but it's really a game you should have won because defensively you were keeping the Capitals on their toes in your entire time, and then you win the following game. So during with Nabla currently this season, the Rangers are three and one. What is your thoughts on not just how that performance is going, how much of an impact or not of an impact um, David Quinn is having on the situation, giving you know cheat sheet and notes and telling him what to do, um, and what do you think your expectation will be of say whenever Quinn's back? The Rangers say falter defensively if they go back to their woes because as we stated before, not having these constant line changes, actually having a breath of fresh air, like a coach who even though he doesn't have um, all the experience in the world, still has confidence in his abilities and kind of just going with the routine, like knowing that you need to stick with a system until it just completely falters, then is where you try to readjust. Yeah. One of the one of the positives this past week for me, and I've mentioned this online. The fact that this new, this temporary coaching staff is not tinkering with the lines mid-game. Their in-game adjustments are minimal. Um, yes, they do tend to lean a little bit more on the top two lines, which is normal for coaches, for inexperienced coaches. But what's refreshing for me is that in the third period, I still see the same line that I saw in the first period. 
And this is the same thing for other teams. When the Capitals were, were trailing against us, did they change their lines? No. They still had the same lines coming out. They still had the same three players on their forward lines. And that's just the way it should be. Um, of course, last night he changed it up by swapping Kako and Blackwell midway through the first period. And it worked out great for Kako with two goals. <clears throat> so it goes against my philosophy. But, you know, um, it's hard to complain about that one. Kako ends up with two goals. Mm-hmm. But in general, I like the fact that they don't shuffle the lines every time they concede a goal because that's that's what I feel Quinn does. And I'm not I'm not sure this is because the coaching staff just has that that faith in the team. I think they because they, they still play Quinn's hockey. Still, it's his lineup. They're they're acting head coach and acting assistant coach. Um and I think the reason they don't tinker with the lines is because it's not their team. They just play the way Quinn wants them to and 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 that's that. But it's refreshing to see the Lafreniere, Hedl, Kako line in the third period and not have one of them being demoted to the fourth period because Lemieux throws two hits, you know? Um, yeah. But you cannot really argue with a 3 on one record with how many goals did we score, 18? Enough. I, I, I think enough is the proper answer yeah. to that. <laughs> it got the job done, which, which is always good to see. A goal differential of 18 and 6. I'll, 18, I'll, take, I'll take that. 18 goals for six against. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy with the way things played out the last week. Um, when Quinn and and Jacques Martin and the other guys come back, I hope they just sit down and 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 learn from this because my observation is that this team looks different. They they play the way they want to. Um, <clears throat> they they play with the confidence, I think, to an extent that. Um, is is hindered when Quinn's been in there. It almost felt like they had a sigh of relief, knowing that maybe there was certain job security, uh, which is having that line chemistry for a full game. Something along those, just a breath of fresh air, which I think this club well, needed one way or another. You know, the, you know what the other big difference is for me? I think Knobloch just said to the players, go out there and play. Yeah. <laughs> and, sure and you can tell, you know, the Bushnevich goal against the Capitals, Mm-hmm. That was set play. Off the face-off, Bucinevich circles circles around, goes to the front of the net, Fox on the outside, passes it in front of the crease, Bucinevich scores. Similar thing with the Kako goal yesterday. Before the face-off, you can see Panarin, Strom, and Kako literally talking about what they're going to do. And it mm-hmm. pays When you have players like that on the ice, let them play. Yeah, my no, point. It's not no, like the Rangers have all these like um, fantastic offensive minds, both young yeah. and veteran. Don't try to overcoach it. Don't try to overdo it as a coach. If this was the 2010-2011 New York Rangers, where your biggest threat offensively is Eric Christensen, then yeah, I mean, you know, do whatever you can as a coach. Because that, that team what did not have, aside from Gabrick, didn't have any stars. No. And and Gabrick wasn't really a playmaker either. He was just he was a goal scorer. If your yeah. best player on the team is a playmaker like Panarin and your second best player on the team is also a playmaker like Zibanejad, just let them play. Just mm-hmm. 
sometimes tell them to go out there and play and and let them let them do what they do best because right. the first few weeks under Quinn it was just so frustrating to see the goals we were scoring most of the goals we were scoring early on garbage. they were all garbage goals and that's not something you can uh what's the word um it's not something you can build on because it's not a consist. It's not something you can do on a consistent basis when you rely on puck bounces and you rely on on puck luck, you know. And 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 the goals we've been scoring lately are just great set plays. There's a bandage at goal against the Capitals on Sunday. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. pushing Dylan off the puck. Oh my God, I I that completely blew over my head. I'm glad he brought that up. Just he literally made Brendan Dillon his, you know what? Like he just like, all right, I'm taking this. That that is beautiful. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, Brendan Dillon. What an ass this season. <laughs> I still remember him from the first game against the Capitals, where he so does my knee, father. <laughs> he went knee, he went knee to knee on Kako, and Kako got a penalty for embellishment. Yep. Either way, that was tremendous. A beautiful pick corner on a very tough angle for Zibanejad to get that yeah. snap, that quick release off. And again, yeah. I apologize if you're noise in the background. My bunny's drinking water, but regardless, right. um, it's still fantastic to see that. That in my mind, you can tell Zibanejad's like that confidence is back, and his post game pressers now, and just on the ice, he's just like he's kind of good. Like he's he's intense when you need to be intense, but he does that entire weight off his back. That in my mind was even taking. His speed game to an extent, you know, a couple steps behind. It's not there anymore. He's yeah. going to continue to fly. And if the Rangers have any chance of competing for a playoff spot this year, which again, I still believe is far fetched, now they're only two games out here. And it, with the Flyers that have continued to struggle, with many of these teams that have been very so so, if the Rangers are going to get anywhere, they need to be led at the end of the day by their top guys and hopefully let the youngsters gradually continue to get more playing time and develop. Um, but it's the Jet and Brenman through and through, and then you work around them. That's what they've been doing. So to actually have that core piece, and now you're going to get your Shesterkin hopefully back, maybe even Thursday at the time of recording this. We'll see how long, much longer he's going to be out for. I think he's going to be ready for Thursday, though. And, you know, who knows? All hell may break loose. But I want to add one more thing with you quick before we talk about Kratzov and what's next, and that is Filipetal. Because I'm sure you caught his presser from the other day, and he made he gave some responses that I think were something that you don't normally say. Or I'm curious as to what reaction he got from the coaching staff, if at all, because he was asked, you know, how's he doing? How's the injury? And he was a little bit more blunt than I think players should be. At least everyone knows this: if you're hurt, if you're dealing with a nagging injury, you're not going to tell the team for for the most part how bad it is if you want to continue playing. He was saying that yes, my wrist is still hurting, and that like. If it hurts more, I'm just not going to say anything. But he openly said that, which I thought was a little interesting. Um, maybe I think it's just a, maybe a lack of his maturity or just still with his English a little bit. But then the other thing that stood out to me was his stance on, you know, how is his play currently? He said, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think I'm playing good, but I could be better. I, I, I want more ice time. You know, he was just straight up. I want more ice time. And I like that. I, I, I don't mind that from him, but. Do you have any stances on those remarks from Heedle? Do you think that's fine of him to basically say, hey, I feel I'm more deserving of ice time because I know that I can blossom more out of this? Every player wants more ice time. You know, yeah, if of you, course. If you put a player on the ice for 20 minutes, he wants to play 25. Mm-hmm. Um, except for maybe Adam Fox because he, I think he played 30 minutes one game. I think, I think that was his limit. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, every player wants more ice time. But Philip Heedle, um, as much as Ranger fans love him, he is the third best center on this team. Currently. Ryan Strom has not done anything to really say otherwise the past couple weeks. You know, the Ryan Strom um, uh, criticisms that I've heard over the years, you know, it's – there was there was something valid in all of the criticisms, but it was something different every year. Mm-hmm. You know, um, his first season he uh, he had a career high in goals, and people were saying yes, but his shooting percentage was high, which in a vacuum was correct. Mm-hmm. But he did it playing with Nemesnikov and Jesper Fast, which is still pretty impressive to score eighteen goals playing with those two. Then the second season he put up fifty. And it was, yeah, it's only because he plays with Panera. Okay, but on the other end of the, of, of the coin, Panera had career highs in goals and assists playing with Strom and Fast. So it works both ways. Panera put up career highs in goals and assists in only 69 games. So it's a little bit tough for me to swallow to say that it's only Panera making making Strom better. I think it goes both ways. And in this season, Strom puts up points without Panera. And, and then people are like, oh, it's only because he plays with Chris Kreider. No, yeah. no. Their, their reach is a line. When and he does Kreider talk, when Kreider's always been cons- inconsistent with his streaks in his career today, you cannot. Kreider is not a playmaker. You know, Kreider's you more of that goal scorer. Think of a new reason each season to, to, to criticize Ryan Strom. Maybe there's not that much to criticize. Yeah, he's not a perfect player, but he's not paid to be. He's paid four point five million. If he was the player Ranger fans want him to be, he would be making ten million a year. And his value is continuing to skyrocket in case the Rangers do not want to commit long term. That's why they they did this this two year deal. You know, if the Rangers find themselves in a position, you know, as they're leaning to the deadline where they decide that they don't want if they want to maybe push again for the draft, if, if they're still prioritizing this really as a rebuild year. There's no other piece that stands out to me more than Strom right now. But when you just look at his numbers, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I just want to throw this out to you because I found this stat earlier um, while scrolling through Twitter by um, the guy who uh, normally provides um, Rangers content for Barstool. So just listen to this quick. Matthew Barzell in his past 101 games has a total of 85 points combining this and last season. 28 goals and 57 assists for a plus 17. Ryan Strom has past 101 games. 85 points, including 28 goals and 57 assists for a plus minus and plus 26. You know, that's just to put something in perspective. Yes, he's playing alongside Redman, but it's not all that bad for acquiring him for Ryan Spooner at the end of the day, who's now playing in not even the KHL. He's been playing in like Swiss and other leagues. The only reason the Panarin excuse makes sense is if we are if we no longer have Panarin next season. If you're yeah. saying he's only producing because of Artemi Panarin, it's fine because he'll be here for five more seasons. So he it, plays- it's like the argument with Tavares and Barzell because Barzell burst on the scene big time for his rookie year and had over 80 points, but he was playing alongside Tavares. He hasn't replicated those numbers since then. So people always use that kind of you know stereotype against yeah, him. Yeah, but if, if Tavares would have been on the Islanders for another 10 years, what's, what's the point? What's the point of, of making making this, you know, what's the point of bringing this up? Mm-hmm. Ryan Strom plays well with Panarin. Panarin plays well with Ryan Strom. Just go with it. And I, some Ranger fans are, are dead set on having Panarin on the same line as Zibanejad, but 
No, that, no. It's the recipe for ruins, disaster. That ruins everything because it kills your 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 depth. They do not click. I don't care what anyone says. Van Jad and Panarin do not click. They, they the extent that people think that they do. Yeah. I, I I personally don't believe that. If we, I think we've seen enough. Either both yeah. five on five, or on the power play. The power play is enough for me. They need to be broken up. I think that would do everyone better personally. So you have a very balanced one and two punch. But five on five, you know this. Remember last season. One game that's really clicking in my head right now is against the P- Panthers, and Bobrovsky ends up getting the win. And Shortly, halfway through the game, they decide to have Panarin alongside Zvanjad. Panarin's on the right side a lot of the time. But they just can't – it's it's like they're almost too similar as a player in a lot of ways. Or it's like you need to have the differenti- You need to have the difference there. You have Panarin who, yes, he's a huge playmaker, but he can score. You have Strom who is in a lot more ways not as similar as Panarin as Zvanjad. Then you have whether it be Kapokako who's getting down in the nitty gritty, getting those takeaways – be more defensively minded, at least as of now, while he's letting the other guys really cook. Then you look at Zibanejad's line. He has Buchnevich, who's, don't get me wrong, Zibanejad's really strong defensively, but you have Buch that can really get in those dirty areas as well and can help with the playmaking. Then you have Kreider, who you normally expect Kreider to kind of be that goal scorer you're trying to set up if it's not going to be Zibby himself. So there's, I think there's a better balance on both those lines respectively. So when you try to combine the two, it's like, Two positives and two positives sometimes end up being a negative, and I feel that way more often than not when I see them together. Um, do you remember in 2013 when the Rangers put Richards, Nash, and Gabrick on one line? Yes. <laughs> you know, why front your, road like that? Putting your best players on the same line is not nece- It's not always the best thing to do. And for the Rangers now, it's it's great to have a first line and a second line. You can argue all day which one is the first or the second line. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't care because they play the same amount of minutes. Call it the top six. You know, they're, they're top six lines. And then on the third line, you have, at the moment, the kids line, um, which uh, maybe Blackwell will play on that line now. Who knows? Because um, I think they'll, they'll keep Kako with Panarin and Strom for now. Um but yeah, we'll just just keep them on separate lines because it works. Why would you why would you mess with that? If you are trailing late in the final minutes and you have to put out an extra attacker, then yeah, go for it. But don't put Panarin and Zabanajet on the same line. It just doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't me either. Um, but I think that's a great segue now because we have to talk about the man of the hour, uh, Vitaly Krasov, because he's here. He's finally here. I'm at the time recording this here on Tuesday night. Uh, Kratsov practiced with the Rangers. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. He skated with the team, but he'll be practicing tomorrow, Wednesday, finally. Um, so what's your initial impressions? Just what's the excitement level like for you having Vitaly, who we've all been so excited and coveted about? It's been multiple years now. I feel like it was just yesterday. I won't forget it. I was at my uh, family friend's wedding, and I was watching the draft on my phone. And as I'm watching the draft on my phone at their wedding, um, I'm uh, the after party, I should say, and you're seeing everything um, setting up and all oh, the Rangers don't get Wallstrom. When I was never really all that upset by it because I actually did my homework on Vitali a couple months prior to him being chosen. So when the Rangers picked him, I'm like, oh, that's actually not a bad pick. I actually like that pick, a European-Russian pick. I think that this could be something. And then here we are today. So what's your initial stance on Vitali and when do you expect him to be in the lineup for the Rangers? Because it won't be right away. Um, it looks like it'll be a couple days still. Um. I expect him in the lineup on Saturday. Um, he's probably not going to play uh, on Thursday. 
Um, he's going to get a couple of practice sessions in uh, with Howden and uh, DG Seppi currently on COVID list. Uh, makes it a little bit easier for the coaching staff to to, to decide there. Um, but I, I just want him to to come out of the gate and and just do something. You know, this is not 2019. Uh, this summer, we're three years removed from his draft. I've seen other players drafted after him actually performing, like uh, not not just Oliver Wallstrom. Oliver Wallstrom is having a good couple of weeks, but for me, the, the standout player from that draft outside the top 10 is Joe Farabee. Uh, yeah, who has 20... I feel like we've been talking about him the past month on the channel. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, 20 goals already in, in his first 81 games. Um, impressive. It's impressive, and and it just shows shows to me that yes, Kravtsov needs to be given a chance. He needs to be given a decent chance. Play him with with good line mates. Don't put him on the fourth line with Howden and Lemieux, because if you're going to do that, then just send him to Hartford. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no point in 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 doing that, and. I really hope Quinn doesn't go back to what he did with other prospects where he's trying to shape them into players they're not. Um, I I unfortunately think that will inevitably happen for the beginning as long as it doesn't drag out too long. Like we've already seen that with Lafreniere instances this year. So I I don't think it's impossible. Um, But on a positive note, uh, Vitaly Kravtsov can uh, only play – 25 games this season if he plays on Thursday, which means he'll be still he'll still be eligible for the Calder next season. Oh, that's cool. So even if he goes on a big tear, it, it won't change anything. I like that. Maybe they prorated it and 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 you know he he the the the, the threshold is like 22, 21. But there's a pretty good chance he's still Calder eligible next season. Um but I've given up on the Ranger on a Ranger player winning the Calder, ever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, at least for now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the thing is, though, is one is one will the next stop. I feel like if the if it ever happens again, where there's like a big run, it's not going to happen from a top Rangers pick. I think it might be happening with either a guy that the Rangers picked up in the later half of the first round, or in you know maybe a second or a third round pick. You know, once he finally hits the show, like, I don't know. It's just, if you can't do it with Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco, who can you do it with? Right. And Fox and Shesturkin. I mean, it's not like we, we had four candidates who should be getting colder votes. Yeah. And Fox, I think finished in fourth last season. And that was only because you had two defensemen that were flying offensively over Fox. McCarr, I understand. Quinn Hughes Hughes, the, the the defense is not there. Fox can literally skate circles around Hughes, defensively speaking, right? Um, but, but, then, but then you had Dominic Kubelik, and it's like, who expected that? Um, so, unfortunately, that it was just unlucky on Fox's case. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Kravtsov, I just want him to come in, play a decent game. Uh, if he plays 20 games, I think 10 points would be a great performance. Uh, if you look at Farabee, 46 points in 81 games, a little over half a point per game. Um, if 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 Kravtsov can hit the 10 point mark in the in the remainder of the season, that's huge. Um, let's hope he does. I mean, Oliver Wallstrom has 15 points in 35 games, so he's a little bit below 
the half point per game uh, average. And that's still solid, uh, especially for your rookie year. That's still not solid. Uh, I'm not going to buy the excuse that, you know, we have too much depth and there's no spot for Kravtsov on the team. I think Kravtsov would thrive best in the top six. And I if, know that that's controversial. The Islanders, but... If the Islanders could find a spot for Wallstrom and the Flyers can find a spot for Farabee, then the Rangers should be able to find a spot for Vitaly Kravtsov. There's no excuse. The the stance from what I've been seeing is that, you know, Kravtsov will probably start on the third line, which probably is the most realistic um, with Heedle and Lafreniere, which is fine. Which is fine. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't think that's wrong at all. I, I would, however, like to see fairly soon him either on the first or second line. I think second line for now, you keep Kako there because, especially after his two goal performance, I think Kako can really thrive on that line with Panarin and Strom. Like we've seen, I think he's had his best performances all year there, outside of very early in the season with Heedle at times. Um, or you even do a situation where if you're really trying to add depth with this team, why don't you take a little bit of a gamble, put Kratsov on your top line, have him on the left wing, and then you move Kreider down, and then you can either have Lafreniere move to his off wing or Kreider on his off wing. Then you have three lines that have a very strong balance of veteran leadership that can produce and youngsters that can help to play. I, I don't. I think that would make the Rangers – far deeper than we've probably seen all season if they do something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, and Kravtsov has played mostly uh, left wing in Russia. My so point exactly. It, it, for him, it doesn't really matter if he's a left wing or a right wing. Uh, he's very dynamic. Same way Kako is a very dynamic player. He plays on either side well. Um, but if the Rangers stick to the Kreider as a manager at Butchnevich line and Kako is playing on the Panera line, then on the third line, it's going to be between Kravtsov and Blackwell. And I don't see this coaching staff picking Kravtsov over Blackwell. So we'll, we'll see. My expectations are very low, but not because of Kravtsov. It's more because of the coaching staff. I know. And it does leave you wondering just how much longer um, Quinn is going to be out. Could there be a situation where Quinn's out all the way to Saturday? Like how much longer do you think that this will drag out for them? Um, well, if they tested positive on Sunday – uh, they would need to clear the 10-day uh, COVID threshold. So that would be next week, next week Wednesday, I guess. Okay, so it, it feels like that they've already tested positive given how long they've been out as it is. If, if, if it was a false positive or if it was... Uh, it would have been like two days. A trace or anything, it would have been uh, 48 or 72 hours, yes. And I, yeah, th- yeah, so it does seem like that they did unfortunately get sick. Um, so if they're back by Tuesday, we could have already one game with Kratsov with Knobloch, who does know him fairly well, at least with the development that he's had with Hartford. So there is that connection there. And he's he said that he's going to really only benefit this club. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm excited for it. I'm really, really looking forward to Kratsov and what he's going to bring to the table. So um, anything else that you'd like to add before we segue into our uh, week predictions for the remainder of the week? Um. No, not really. Okay. All right, perfect. Well, what is your week predictions then? I'll start with you. Um, if you look at the Rangers' schedule currently, they're playing uh, the thir- Thursday and Friday. They're in Philly again. Um, unfortunate for me because unless these games are um, uh, like big night games, which I, I think I'm actually going to be blacked out for both of them given my location. So that sucks. So I'll be radio calling those. So Rangers <laughs> play in Philly. Uh, what, what's that? Thursday and Saturday, right? Thursday and Saturday, both in Philly. Saturday is a 1 p.m. Eastern time game, so that'll be a good time for you. 
And then uh, Sunday, so another weekend of back-to-back games, but that Sunday game will be uh, Capitals in D.C., um, and it will be a 12 o'clock game, so, and that will be on NBC. So what's your initial stance on the remaining uh, games for the week for the Rangers? Um, because we probably won't record again until Monday because then they play uh, the following Tuesday against the Capitals. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, that first game against the Flyers, they, they have to come out flying, right? They, they need to. No pun intended, but they, no. have, they have to come out flying, firing on all cylinders. They have they have something to prove after that nine nothing loss. Yeah. Um, tough one. Is Nabloch gonna go four and one as acting head coach? Oof, that will be something. I think they're gonna lose the first one, win the second one, um, and the Sunday game against the Caps. You know what? I'm gonna go positive two one and zero. Uh, I'm I'm going with you. I'm going two one and zero as well. I think that's a good pick, and right. I do believe Igor will be back Thursday. That's so. not fun. We have the same prediction. I'm sorry. I, I've been in agreement. Maybe maybe this will end the streak. But hey, we're riding three weeks straight with my predictions. We'll see if yours actually fall. Maybe it's a good thing that I'm siding with you here. So maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But again, exciting times for the Rangers. It feels like things are finally trending upward. Um, only two games out currently at the time of recording is outside of a playoff spot. So all I can say is, you know, you got to hope for the best. If the Rangers do sneak in somehow, I'll be ecstatic. Um, I don't think it will necessarily benefit the kids too much outside of experience unless they're really in those situations. But boy, oh boy, would I just love to see a Capo Caco, Alexi Lafreniere, and Igor Shosturkin in playoff hockey. That could actually be a very great thing, even if they're only getting upwards of 15 minutes. Um, yeah. a night respectively um that's it's, something that i probably want the most it's a tough schedule though with 10 games in 18 days it is it is and this will test them the upside is that they at least have youth on their side you know it shouldn't take them too long to heal up versus some of the other teams in the league and in the division like the capitals for instance yeah. one of the oldest teams in the league if that's a heavy factor in things who knows we could see, see something crazy happen and and this is something i've heard Throughout the the months of November, December, people were saying, oh, the Bruins are an old team. The Capitals are an old team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, younger teams, it benefits us. I don't know. I think a shortened season benefits older teams more than it benefits younger teams. Oh, yeah. If it's a normal 82-game season, it benefits the younger team. But I think overall, I, you know, the talk about how the Bruins and the Caps are old teams is a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, oh, I'm just—I'm literally just basing it off of their age. I mean, you know, the the difference is their average age being 28 or 29. It's not like they're 35. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, and if anything, not all Alexander Ovechkin. <laughs> and, and the Bruins, the Bruins are probably a younger team because they don't have Chara anymore. So, yeah, yeah whoever you, whoever you replace it with, you're a younger team forward because um, Chara 42. I mean, Chara, I think. I think he's 42. 42. Chara, I, I, I looked it up the other day. Uh, Chara is the only uh, the only player, I think, in the NHL who was alive for the Rangers in the Stanley Cup final in 1990. <laughs> wow. <That>, what? <laughs> wait, wait, what do you mean alive? You mean like, no, yeah, you, I, mean, you mean playing. He was born in 70, 77 or 78. So you're saying that he was in the league when the Rangers won in No, 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 no. Like he was alive for that to happen. So no other player in the league was alive for that to happen? I think he's the oldest player in the league. Maybe Joe Thornton, but 
but it, it's. Mm-hmm. It, I think he's the oldest player in the league right now. Yeah, but yeah, no, there's that. There's got to be more players than just him that were alive for '94. No, 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 seventy-nine. Oh, for seventy-nine. Yeah, seventy-nine. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought you said for '94. I'm like, that doesn't add up. No, 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 no. Okay, no. But you know, just for reference, Alexi Lafreniere is the first Ranger to be born after 9/11. Ah, that's that's so weird. If you want, I'm older than him. That's weird. Oh my god! Every single year that I see these kids being drafted now, I'm like, I feel like if I met them, I would act like a little like schoolgirl wanting an autograph. I'm like, wow, I'm like two, three years older than you. I'm sure it's weird for you too. Like, I think don't get younger, you just get older. I was my draft year would have been 2002, uh, same as Rick Nash. <laughs> so, so you are the same as Rick Nash, is what you're saying? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, draft picks don't get younger; we just get older. The draft picks. Stay the same, same age every year. I know it's weird. Ah, it's weird. Um, okay, well, I I think I think we hit everything for this week. Exciting week. Uh, Kratzov hopefully on the weekend. Igor should be back. The Rangers are going to try to make some type of run out of this thing. All I hope is that we get consistency and that whenever Quinn comes back, that we just hopefully continue to ride this out, whatever it is. Um, it, all I care about is development. At the end of the day, as do you. Um, yeah. so fingers crossed that this Rangers team can just try to give the kids the ice time they deserve and that the veterans continue to play as they should. Question for you. Should I, should I hang up some Lafreniere and Croftsov jerseys on my wall? I think you should. You have to manifest. The only thing I suggest outside of that is getting one of either your Rangers towel. No, get one of your hockey pucks. Um, You probably have a Lafreniere or a Kratsov, one of the two and put it on a table, get some candles, put them around it and just, just set it all up. Yeah, you, you got to get it all set up. Manifest it the best you can, okay? You know, pray to the hockey gods. And, and, and you know, I think you're already having the good luck with Lafreniere because I know you got the um, Oceanic um, Ramoski hat yeah. on. So you're, you're set. You're set. So, yeah, I'll, I'll think of something, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll we'll <laughs> cross off plays. I'll do something for the game. Cross off make, makes his NHL debut. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Well, as always, thank you all so much Rangers fans for chiming in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Rangers review. If you did make sure to smash all those buns as always and uh, Steven, let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers.